Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Kevin Hannigan. Kevin has helped individuals and organizations maximize the value they receive from their data for over 20 years. He's a frequent speaker and lecturer on topics including data literacy, data-informed decision-making, decision intelligence, and essential skills for today's workforce. He's currently the Chief Learning Officer at Click, a data and analytics company, as well as the Chair of the Advisory Board for the Data Literacy Project. Thanks so much for being here today, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's great to have you here, and we're going to just dive right in. I, I would love it if you would explain to the listeners uh, what data literacy is. Yes, I'm happy to. And I think the first thing I want to say is anyone that hears the term data literacy and they hear the first word in that data and they freak out and like, okay, not for me, just pause and think that data isn't just numbers. It's reviews on Amazon. It's information you get from the news, information you get from from colleagues. It's it's everything. And so data literacy to me is we are inundated with information, we, which is typically a good thing, right? We can learn more about our business, our customers, ourselves. We get insights into things before we purchase them. But the way our brains work is sometimes we, we interpret the data wrong or the data is missing context. And so data literacy is at the highest level. It's how do you apply critical thinking to interpreting the data that you see? Um, imagine someone gives you like a, a word that potentially has different meanings. Like uh -huh. the word sanction is one, right? It, it could be different depending on how the context. Well, data is the same way, but it's hard for us to know if it's missing context because sometimes it makes sense, but it's very misleading. And so it's just how are we better at interpreting data and data visualizations to, to increase our understanding and decision-making? I see. Thank you so much for that. That that is, I, I get it. Um, but and and are there certain skills that are required in order to be data literate? There are. What's interesting is I. So I think some people get concerned. They're like, "Well, I don't have a math background. I'm not a data, you know, yeah. science. I'm not a statistician." The amount of technical skills you need, I would probably equate to second or third grade math. That's it. Like you need to understand like how averages work. You need to understand things like that. What's really interesting is uh, my belief is the skills that we need are mostly you sometimes call them soft skills. Sometimes they're called forever skills, but things like active listening, things like getting diverse perspectives, things like mitigating bias, challenging assumptions. That's those are the skills that help us. And whether we're a data scientist or just someone in 
business who looks at Excel spreadsheets to try to get insights. Those are the skills that we need to use to interpret them and, and more importantly, avoid misinterpreting them. I say. Okay, talk to me more about bias because we all have it, but um, I, when you were talking a minute ago, that, that like resonated with me that that it feels like that can be um, challenging for being able to really process the data that you're receiving accurately. Is that right? Absolutely. So I think the first thing is is bias is is when our brains lead us to a decision that might seem illogical. And we all have it, but sometimes when we talk about it, there are people that are like, oh, that sounds like voodoo, hocus pocus, it's not real. So I like to kind of at least spend a couple of seconds educating like why we have it, right? So there's all this data information. Some people say there's millions of different senses getting thrown at a, at a person any given second. And the brain is a really powerful supercomputer but imagine if it's processing all these millions of things every second, just like a regular computer would, it would overheat. You know, we'd need to sleep like 30 hours a day, which isn't possible. So the brain takes these shortcuts and without going too technical, they're called heuristics if people want to look them up. And it tries to find patterns of what is coming in to what it thinks is relevant to us. And there's some challenges with that because what's relevant to us is based off of our experiences, not someone else's experience. What's relevant to us might have been relevant a decade ago, but in today's world, things are different now and they evolve. So when you take these shortcuts, it tries to give you an answer. And if that answer makes sense, it's called like the make sense. And like, yeah, it makes sense. Then the brain says, here's your answer. And so one of the most common examples of this bias is, is called confirmation bias. In anyone in the audience, if you've ever thought something was happening in your business or in your world or just thought something was happening. You basically had a hypothesis or a hunch and you saw a piece of data, you saw a visualization, you saw a news report that said it and you're like, aha, I was right. That's bias because you don't know if it was right or wrong, right? You need to validate the data, validate the visualizations. Um, just huh. like in the science field, they use the scientific method. And again, without going too technical, you have a hypothesis and you do everything in your power to disprove it. And if you can't disprove it, then you have to assume it's true. In business, because of how our brains work, it's not, in, in, it's not done intentionally, it's not done maliciously. We come across data that validates our viewpoints and we say, case closed, I'm done. This validates my viewpoint, let's move on. And it's very limited because that might not be the right viewpoint. It might be a different perspective. It might be misleading. And because the world's moving so fast, we don't stop and think. And that's the real problem is we don't stop and think and question if we have a confirmation bias or similar. So <clears throat> is this the kind of thing that like we need to be aware of and, and when we feel like we're um, identifying something that makes sense to us, we then question it, like that we have to intentionally question it and say, okay, wait, is this really what I think it is? You said the perfect word is question it. So yes, if and I guess it depends because we probably make 
thousands of decisions every day. So if, yeah. if, if, if the decision is what am I going to have for lunch today, probably don't want to question it because the, the long-term effect of it being wrong and the recourse isn't that big, but for like more tactical, strategic decisions, where am I going to go vacation? Maybe even things like what car am I going to purchase or so? Yes. Yeah, so you want to stop and think about it. And that's actually why there's a science when people say sleep on it. It's because it, it's your brain giving your brain more time to process and go away from the shortcuts to see if it's really there, true and happening to you. So you definitely want to validate things. And, you know, one of the things I always tell people is look at the visualization or the data that's being shared with you and just say, in, in what situation is this not true? Um, because again, not everyone's a statistician. So we see all of this data out there all the time that, causes alarm and confusion with COVID, we saw flattening the curve, the curve is exponentially growing and it led us to make these decisions as people, do we go out? Do we, do we send our kids to school? Um, and many times it's missing the context. We don't really understand what the visualization is telling us. And that's really the, the heart of data literacy is, is challenging that. I'll just give you one you know funny example because I like to show examples that make absolutely no sense that why would anyone believe it to be true, but then realize like, that's the, that's the fringe case, but you're going to see things that make perfect sense, but they're misleading. So, you know, one of the famous examples um, is you, there's a visualization out there that shows there is a, a correlation means one's driving the other, that when there are more ice creams being eaten, there's more shark attacks in Boston, Massachusetts, where, where I'm from. And the data shows that is true. If, if we don't apply critical thinking and say, well, wait a second, how the heck could that make sense? Then you see it on the news and people are like, oh my God, we're not going to eat ice cream anymore because I don't want to get eaten by a shark. What's really happening is the data is not lying. And that's the key. The data is showing you something, but there's something that's not in the data or that's not being shared that's driving both of those. And in this case, in hindsight, it makes sense. It's it's the weather. When do people mostly eat ice cream? Usually in the summer. When do people usually swim at the beach? In the summer. It makes sense. But we don't think like that because again, the, the shortcuts in the brain's like, well, you know what? It, yeah, the data shows that. Why? The data is not wrong. And so that's the real like over the top crazy case. But then you look at things we see about people trying to disprove, you know, the the climate change or, you know, one of my um, sons, I have four is, is on the spectrum. And I saw all of this data that was trying to prove the, the MMR measles, mumps, rubella vaccine causes autism. They're looking at the same thing, it, it, but it, we don't know, we're not scientists. So I can question the sharks and the ice cream because it makes sense. I might not be able to question as a typical person at home, the MMR versus autism because I'm not a scientist. I'm not in right. the, the biochem of that. So I believe it to be true, even though it's the same exact thing as the sharks and the ice cream. It's just something else is driving it. Um, and that's why it's really scary is we, yeah. we don't know enough to challenge these sometimes. Okay. But then how do we use this <clears throat> information to improve the processes in our businesses? Absolutely. And so that is where this, these skills come in, these, these forever skills or active listening. So, you know, one of the things, again, depends on the decision, tactical, strategic, that there's a couple tools and models you can use. The easiest one is just, you know, sleep on it. But really, 
what helps is you get diverse perspectives. And so I'm a huge DNI fan, but I come at it from a cognitive diversity. Um, going back to what we said before, my shortcuts in my brain are based off how I grew up, how I worked, what I done, my culture, my environment. I might have a, a bias. I might not be from Massachusetts and realize that, hey, it's because I swim in warm weather. Someone else might know that. So when I am in business and I make tactical and strategic decisions, I want to get at least one representative from every stakeholder group. So I want to find people that disagree with me. I want to find people that have different backgrounds. And it's in smaller businesses, it's less of a problem. In bigger businesses, we tend to hire people that are just like us. Yeah. It's like a it's like a factory. It's like if you if you wear the same shirt and tie, went to the same university, have the same first job, you go to the next company and you don't get that diversity, you don't get that innovation. So I think the short answer to your question is get different perspectives, learn that you might have a bias, and then learn ways to combat that bias, like challenging it and say, is, is there any situation where this wouldn't be true? Is there situations where this is misleading? Is there other data that's relevant that I didn't see that might change my opinion? Those are great questions. I, I love that. <clears throat> I love it. So, um, how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly. And our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Are there, is, is there um, more to an organization's culture? Like, you know, is there some kind of yes. culture that is required in order for this to work Out, outside of being diverse? Is there anything else a, about a that? Perfect question. It's, it's like, this would be the perfect lead in. So thank you for that. Um, that wasn't planned. It is, yes, <laughs> and, and that's part of the challenge, right? Is, so think about what, what I just said is you wanna get different perspectives and you want people to challenge questions. So going back to to we're all kids we're all curious one of the reasons kids learn differently than adults is we don't have any experiences to compare into so what do we do we ask why and as parents as a parent of four i found it incredibly annoying but why 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 <laughs> is how they understand and then you go into primary school and secondary school and i will admit firsthand when i ask my teacher why they're not like kevin I'm so excited that you're curious about this. Like, yeah. Kevin, 
Don't challenge me. Don't talk back. Mm -hmm. Go to the principal's office. And then you go to your first job when it, the culture was more hierarchical. And the boss says, we're going to, you know, take our surplus and we're going to spend it on marketing. And you're like politely questioning, well, what's the data for that? Why would we do that? Do we see a correlation between this? And the boss is like, well, you questioning me? I've been here for 40 years. You know, you're fired. <laughs> so we lose that ability to question because the culture isn't there. So to your point, this is data literacy isn't as much an individual thing as it is an organization needs to have the culture to be open about getting input from different people. And in my experience, many of them say they are, but uh -huh. a lot of people don't really like it when it happens because it's different. It's like they feel like they're being questioned and challenged. And unless they have the mindset that being challenged is a good thing, it's going to take a, an overhaul of the company culture. So absolutely, you want diversity, but you want everyone from the top down to say, you can ask me any question. You can challenge me, but clarify, do it in the right way. Politely challenge, politely question. Don't say, hey, you're an idiot. That makes absolutely no sense. You're missing something. <laughs> but do it in a polite way. And the companies that do that, Google, Amazon, I mean, they innovate. They are the ones yeah. that are innovating now. Right, right and problem solving is 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 data literacy more important now than you know i don't know 20 years ago it is i think it's always been important but 20 years ago and in, in maybe even 10 years ago we didn't have as much data so the first thing is being overloaded like we'll go back millions of years what we worried about and how the brain evolved if you ever follow the neuroscience of how the brain evolved what we really cared about was not getting eaten by dinosaurs and surviving. Yeah. So we didn't have to weigh the probability of things. Problems were not complex. They were very simple. And even going into the 1900s and 1950s and everything was very simple. And it just, I'd say in the past 20, 30 years, everything is complex. So you have to worry about it more because everyone has smartphones, everyone has TVs, everyone has email. You are exposed to going back to what we said in the beginning, when we say data, don't just think numbers, you're exposed to statements, you're exposed to evidence, you're exposed to information, like the news headline, don't take the MMR vaccine because it causes autism, or don't leave your house because COVID cases are exponentially growing, or any of those things, which may or may not be true, we have more things we have to question. And because we don't practice the skills, this is my theory at least, because we don't practice the skills that help us question it, like active listening, critical thinking, curiosity, those are kind of suppressed after being a kid. Yeah. We don't have enough practice about it. I mean, take active listening. It, to me, it's the most important skill anyone in business can have. I, I went to school for what, 15 years. I took tons of reading courses, tons of writing courses, I even took two public speaking courses. I've never taken a listening class and it's the most used form of communication. So a lot of people just don't know how to do it. It, it, it is interesting. and and. Um, there is so much data. How, I mean, is it even possible to sift through it? I, I feel like either people just feel like there's so much of it, it's so overwhelming that they don't even know what to pay attention to and what not, or even what to question and what not to question. So yep. they sort of tune out or they pick and choose or they, they try and delve into all of it, but is it all important? Does it all matter? It 
doesn't, well, it probably all matters to something, but it might not all matter to you. So there's a statistical term, signal and noise. And in the, the basic answer of that is there's so much stuff out there, the noise that's making it hard for you to see what the true meaning is, the, the signal. And you're, you're right. If there's different approaches to data, if someone taking data aside for now came into my office and said, here's a 10 story high haystack, go find me the needle. I'm going to say, no, thank you. I'm moving on. That, that That's like a losing cause because yeah. you're, you're looking for literally a needle in the haystack. But if someone came in with a very specific question that was answerable with data, so pivot to marketing. If my boss comes in and is like, how's, you know, how was my marketing campaign last year? It, if I'm in an environment, a culture where I can politely challenge, I'm going to say, well, how do you determine success? Compared to what? Last year, this year, compared to the industry standard? Are you looking at different channels? I'm going to question and, and ask all of these questions. And I'm going to end up with a very specific question. How is my marketing campaign this year in terms of lead generation compared to last year? That's answerable. And now that haystack, I can go into the haystack and say, this is exactly what I need. I need lead generation from this campaign from this date to this date, this year and last year, and instantly it colorizes the haystack and you find the pieces you need and you pull it out. The problem is if we don't think by asking the question first, we're just gonna say, there's something in here that's gonna help. I have no idea where it is. And long story short, start with the question, that helps. If you know what you're looking for, or you know the question that you wanna ask, then it helps. And someone might say, I don't know what question to ask, then try a question. And if it doesn't help you, evolve it, iterate it, try another question. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I like that. I mean, I, I, first of all, completely agree with you that, that listening is the most important skill and it is amazing how no one really learns it. Yeah. Um, and well, active listening and, um, and that being curious and questioning things is really key to growth and, and success. So I can see how this whole concept of making sure that you're data literate um, can really help an organization. And, and I can see the, you know, that it can be challenging too. Absolutely. And it, in just one example on this, it, it, it's with the organization, it's with individuals and, you know, take, take COVID, for example. So as I said, the needle in the haystack, we were all exposed to so much data through the beginning of the COVID pandemic. But looking at all those visualizations and all the data you see on the news channels, it overwhelmed everyone. It overwhelmed yeah. me. It, going back to what we just talked about, what do I want? What's my question? If I don't have a question, I don't want to look at the data. It's just going to bother me. It's going to make me sad. So let's say my question was, I want to know if I can go on vacation in six months with my kids based off of their health factors with a low risk of anyone getting hospitalized. That's answerable. But the, the problem is then I need to find the data to support that. But what did we see in COVID is we saw visualizations that said coronavirus cases growing and you see like this huge step 
where like at a certain point it, it exponentially grew. Now, think about everything we just talked about. There's a lot of misleading information in there. And I would argue that most people, even people that don't know anything about COVID wouldn't catch that. So the first thing is coronavirus cases. That doesn't tell me anything if my goal is how is the spread of the disease? Because knowing a little bit about COVID, we're only test in the beginning, we're only testing people that had symptoms, but right. people have COVID without it. We're only testing early responses. So those charts that started exponentially growing, a majority of them were growing because we changed testing policies and we started testing everyone. And so the a lot of people were like, oh my God, it's it's growing. It's all it probably wasn't growing. Right. We can figure that out. But the testing changed. But yeah. what did it cause? Is it caused fear and panic? And I think that to me is like the why data literacy is so important is it caused panic. And, and maybe people are risk adverse. That's a good thing. You'd rather be panicked than, you know, blind and, and doing something when there is risk and everyone's level of risk is different. But I think it unnecessarily panic people because we're not data literate. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. And then it got to a point where um, because they started getting more and more data literate that, but the rest of the people were going, okay, hang on a second. You know, yesterday you said X, today you're saying Y. And so then, then it, it sort of has the positive, I mean, the opposite impact that you're looking for, which would be confidence and calm. It, it just got people just not believing anything exactly. and not knowing what to believe. Exactly. And interesting enough, it actually, that also, that point there goes back to the, the brain. There's the part of like, I'm confused. You said it was safe. It wasn't safe, but that's why misinformation is so hard. And, and I'm not going to get into politics, but that's why it's hard today in American politics is when we hear misinformation, even after we find out it's misinformation, the brain still has it in its long-term memory. And it's still there when we make these unconscious decisions without stopping, it uses that as a data point. It finds it relevant. And so even if we find it untrue, it's really hard to debunk myth misinformation if we're not consciously deliberate about it because the, the, it's already in the brain. It's already stored in my database. It's not deleted. I, I don't scrub it from my memory, um, which makes it really oh. hard when those things happen and things evolve. You have to be even more deliberate to be bring the unconscious to the conscious or we're going to continue our, our brain is going to continue believing it's a true statement wow really yes um and yeah. it's like a, a over uh, over simplified example and if we we're on video i'd say i'm wearing a pink shirt today and your audience listeners are going to go home for the rest of the week i guarantee 99 percent of them are going to notice more guys wearing pink shirts not a true statement. The problem is you just told your brain the pink shirts are relevant. So it's listening for it. And now it's finding them. It's the availability bias. Just like if you're like, I'm going to buy a white Jeep, yeah. you're going to start seeing more white Jeeps on the street. But that's not a true statement. You're not seeing more white Jeeps on the street. You're not seeing more people with pink. Your brain's just telling you it's relevant now. So when you have the misinformation, it comes in, it believes it's true. Now it's listening for anything relevant that's misinformation. And if it comes in and it's contrary to that, it's going to ignore it and say, no, 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 you already said that, you know, this is a bad thing. So um, this says it's a good thing. If I'm not stopping and think about it, it's not going to put it in the memory. It's going to say, nope, ignore it. 
That's fascinating. And scary. Yeah. Yes. Fascinating yeah, first and then scary. Yeah. <laughs> You're not kidding. Wow, Kevin, this is so interesting. And I have to say that, I mean, some of what I appreciate about this is you're at the beginning, you said, you know, people hear data and they go, oh, wait a second, I'm not, you know, that math literate or whatever. And I so agree with that. It's like, do people really want to listen to this? But the way that you explain this and what it does for your organization and and how you can go about it is is it feels like liberating you know, I know I could do it. And it doesn't, it, it sort of, I'm going to say like humanizes data, doesn't make it one of those really awful, no thank you sorts of things. So thank you for that. Happy to. And it, it's just like anything else that's habit forming, right? Is you just have to be deliberate about practicing. You know, the good thing is, you know, people think of habits, they think of like exercise and those are hard to practice. It's like, oh, do I really want to go to the gym today? But these you you don't push back. It's like, do I really want to and you know question this visualization? Some people might find it fun, and those people that find it fun a lot of times have nothing to do with math fields. They come from psychology. They come from communications, and so I, I think it's easier because it is helping you practice and form habits. But it's not painful to do. It does take right. a little bit more time, but it saves more time in the long run because you're doing it the right way. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And you're and you're getting and using actual relevant data as opposed to thinking that what you have is relevant when you haven't really done the digging. Exactly. It reminds oh. me there's this little game show I'm dating myself. I think it's called classic concentration, but it was it was always it was a memory game. And as you got the pieces off, underneath it was a set of images that spoke out a phrase and there's a word for it I can't remember what it is but like the one I always remember is there's the word um p p e a and the e is kind of split it meant split pea soup or split pea it, wow. it, it kind of but the thing about the game that's similar to data literacy is someone would see the left corner and they'd make an assumption what it was and it was hardly ever right it's like the more <laughs> you see of the puzzle the more accurate you are um, kind of like Wheel of Fortune too, right? The more letters you see, the more yeah. you're able to understand what it is. But we see a visualization, our brains don't stop and say, oh, it's Wheel of Fortune. It could be these 20 other things. We say, oh, it tells me the cases are increasing or it tells me this is bad or this is doing that. And we don't pause and say, well, maybe there's a piece that's exposed on the right or that's unexposed. We just don't think that way. Right. Um, so I guess that's one takeaway I tell people is imagine it's a game show. Imagine it's classic concentration what other piece of the data or the visualization or the information would help if it was exposed? I think that's really great. And I have to say that um, thanks to um, the way television is these days, uh, we watch classic concentration on Buzz. Oh, games work, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it is fascinating and you do, you know, it's interesting how, how you try and figure out what is it they're trying to say there, you know, um, and you figure out which pieces you need in order to get a better picture. So that is very interesting. I'm going to watch it differently now than, yeah. than I did before. Kevin, thank you. Thank you. Will you tell the listeners how they can find you and, and everything you've got going on, please? Yeah, happy to. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. I think there's only two Kevin Hannigan, so it should be the first or the second one. Um, as you mentioned, I work at a company called Click, a data and analytics company. They can go to my website, 
kevinhannigan.com. Um, I recently published two books on data literacy. The, the most recent one's called Data Literacy in Practice, which kind of goes through a lot of these types of things that we talked about. And then the one from two years ago is called Turning Data into Wisdom. And it's really a, a little higher level about how you can better increase your decision-making and actually gain wisdom by leveraging data. But again, none of them, nothing I talk about requires you to have anything more than from a technology point of view, second or third grade math skills. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, as I said, thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.